Folks, welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. Coming on Power Talk, thank you so much for making us part of your day today. And as I learn to try to seek my true nature and get out of my own way, um, it is always um, cathartic in some ways to connect with people who um, I um, have seen in other lifetimes and in dreams and in the extraterrestrial realm, uh, people that um, oftentimes, uh, you know, overcome a lot of adversity. Uh, maybe they are fiercely independent and they're able to overcome stuff and uh, they do it with, uh, with sovereignty and with, um, with grace, even though um, there's a lot of internal strife. The thing I've learned about pain and suffering in life is that it's really the only way that you grow. And uh, I got a chance today to talk to somebody, very, very multidimensional person, uh, somebody who has the ability to go in and out of different parts, play different kinds of parts as an actress, um, seamlessly, um, you know, create sort of cosmic uh, intelligence uh, in a spontaneous fashion. Um, coming up with, uh, you know, different ways of inspiring other people to be themselves as a teacher of of acting. And uh, she's also a, a mother and somebody who's trying to balance this all amidst uh, this pandemic and uh, doing it really, um, you know, as gracefully as anybody could. And, you know, it's been a long time coming, but uh, what an honor. Fiona Graham, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Wow, Jake, thank you. Uh, what an honor to be talking to you. It's a long time coming, and I've been very grateful for your patience with me. That's <laughs> uh, absolutely my my, my uh, I don't always have that uh, discipline. A lot of people, not a lot, some people will say I'm very interested, but I'm just very busy. And after the second or third um sort of time that that they say they're busy I kind of lose interest a little bit because I do feel that um I don't know I just kind of wanted you to t to talk to the audience a little bit about you know regardless of all the responsibilities that you now have in your mm -hmm. life how do you approach um life and what I mean by that is like um you know I recognize that um you know the idea of acquiring things, uh, you know, toys and, and commodification, that's never going to get me off. And I'd rather create a legacy uh, that involves connecting humanity, uh, inspiring people through my show, and ultimately trying to disseminate the information in as many different forms as possible. And at 43, I can see many chapters of my life still left to live. So even though life is long, knock on wood, there's also an urgency to it because it's not that long in some ways. And I, I wanted you to talk about how you've always approached uh, life in terms of fifth gear, fourth gear, third gear. Like how much of an urgency do you feel about life? Oh, interesting. Uh, I do not feel an urgency about life at all. Uh, I possibly did uh, in my teens and 20s and 30s, uh, maybe early 30s that there was a big shift and a change in my life. And now it really is 
every day, moment by moment, as much as I can, as best as I can. Uh, and my very little young children remind me of that in every moment because they only exist in the moment. And uh, That's right. it's uh, how, how, can, how can this moment be with my children, with people that are in my circle, with the people that uh, I'm engaging with, uh, how can we be connected? How can we be nurturing? And how can we be kind and, and open-hearted and warm? And that's it. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> I, um, what happened in your early 30s that made you ch- fundamentally change? And I don't mean urgency like in a, in a, uh, like an anxiety way or a stress way. Mm-hmm. I mean more like creating, you know, just constantly wanting to create. Maybe you got that out of your system, but fundamentally, like, when did you sort of become aware of the idea that the only place to be is in the now? Uh, I, it's interesting. Thank you for such a question. I've always known from very young that, I needed to create. I needed to outwardly create uh, with words, with my body, with feelings, in order to not only make a connection with other people, but also I very early enjoyed and uh, felt a deep satisfaction when I saw other people connecting through uh, whatever it was that I was trying to create in the moment, whether that be a little show in my front yard yes. with all the kids in the street, um, or whether it was, um, you know, oh, that's my baby has just woken up. No, okay, no problem. No, take your time. This is the first time that we. Well, I don't know how many times we've had this before, but Fiona has a two children and a young. A young baby, and um, we felt this might happen in some way, but uh, she has to take care of her children. And the truth is that uh, my kids, as well, they they really do help me keep keep me in the moment as well. So it's um, it's such a blessing. Yeah, yeah. This is how we're doing it. Uh, sort of like a seismic shift in society as well, which is really embracing this as life and and i feel that's very female forward i i have great respect for it actually i mean um can you talk a little bit about um your imagination you know and ultimately um did you find yourself in you know fantasy uh, theatrical performances because you were trying to get to a a place of peace or was it something that you know did you have trauma in your early life or did you um were you just naturally uh an extroverted person who uh liked to uh, entertain and also inspire people mm. uh no trauma uh no trauma whatsoever definitely um a need to be heard uh, not necessarily seen, but to be heard. And in some way, uh, 
I'm quite an introverted person. I'm not the person at the party or in the group or at the dinner table to have the stories or need to be heard in that way. I'm not that person. I'm actually mm-hmm. quite quiet and shy. Yes. But, th- but there's something intrinsic that's coming from somewhere else that I knew needed to come through and uh, the con- connecting of people in their humanity to other people's humanity needed to be, has to be, is, is, and still is, and uh, that's, that's, what the, that's what is the daily motivation. Um, and I can't really explain it because most of the time, yes, my imagination, and I, I absolutely, I work with other actors and use guided imagination techniques to help them uh, trigger emotional connection to themselves or emotional memories, muscle memories. Um, but once one has a skill in that, it goes way beyond that. And it's a connection to and I, I, the cosmos, if you want to call it. I don't know what it is. I really don't. Yeah, it is the cosmos. But it is a co- of course it's the cosmos. It's, it's a collectiveness. And it's, and, it's, and it's tapping into then the human experience, the collective human experience, that then when uh, a performer or an artist of any kind, I believe, is in that, it, uh, we, the audience, relate so fully, deeply that we are then in the present moment being released relieved with them and that for me has I've known it for very early on and 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 love being there and love being there with other people well you uh we have a game on this program called name that voice <laughs> I don't expect you to know who this is but um you just segued beautifully into what this person's talking about so take a listen to it and we'll come back mm-hmm. Spiritual thing is is basically when you're playing, and it's just not bebop. This is other music too, but bebop is in jazz is probably that's the high end of what we do mm-hmm. as jazz musicians. But but just the spirituality comes from it's it's like it's like something. Now this this may sound abstract, but it's something that Wayne Shorter said to me one time. He said that the only way you can really 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 play is that you have to go to the store and buy some milk for your grandmother. You know, <laughs> he said that to me and the drummer, Omar Hakim. Now, he had a few few drinks, a few old drinks. Right. I said, wow. But a couple <laughs> days later, it hit me, you know, because, you know, it's like to come, if you have one of those kind of families, you go to see your grandmother, she says, go to the store and get me some milk. And you go there, there's a love, there's a... There's something, there's a love for something other than just what you're looking at. It's like your own personal love, which, you know, which could come from God, which could come from the force of life. It could be whatever it is that makes you, that you think makes you tick. Mm-hmm. That if you tap into that, whatever that is, it's not, it's not a material. It's not the instrument. It's not the notes. It's it's the life force. It's this. It's, it's mm. and that is very when you operate on that band, that's uh, that's or on that uh, frequency in life. That is very spiritual. Fiona, mm. that was um, a really great bass player uh, named Stanley Clark, uh, and I, my first interview with him from. Uh, 2015 and he was with Wayne Shorter and uh and they you know they were talking about it from a 
spiritual uh, jazz uh, kind of point of view that um, if you really, really want to play music, whatever genre it is, it's like going to the store to get your grandma some milk. Uh, mm. If you have one of those families where you um, recognize that it's beyond uh, familial, it's beyond something in this on this mm. earth. And I wanted you to talk about it as it related to acting. Mm. You know, when, if you could talk about a specific time in your career when, you know, you had the rudiments, you had the training, um, you were very... Um, you know, you had what you needed. And then, mm. you know, a lot of people, like in classical music, some people are a little bit stiff because, you know, they, um, they're they focused on technique and they never really just throw the book away and allow their own individual voice to take over. And I wanted you to talk about, you know, a point in your career when you kind of let it go and it, like you said, it came through you in the moment. You know, you, you, you look back on it, on the work you did, and you said, I really said that? I really did that? Like, it just happened while, it was, while you were doing it, and you, be, and you found your own individual voice. Mm. Yeah, um, I'm really clear when that happened, and, and sort of decades of training and working and experience and experience. And uh, then I wrote a one-woman play about Marianne Faithful and uh, performed that in New York City, night after night after night. And uh, it was just me on the stage. And every night, stepping on was sort of like jumping out of an airplane without <laughs> a parachute. It was terrifying, and yet thrilling. And also knowing that uh, there's only me to catch myself. There's only me that can... But then, not really, because... I would say a little prayer to Marianne before I went on and invite her if she wanted to, to help guide me and through her story, because that was my purpose. And, uh, it was an hour long and I would float through it. Deep emotional story, uh, required a lot of, um, guts, I, I think, on my part. But uh, she gave that to me. And um, it, would be, it would be moment to moment, but I would have no thought or, or no observation of self or no judgment of self. It would be a communication between uh, the words that were written uh, with Marianne and myself, communicating with the audience, in the moment and it going back and forth and the air would be thick. It would be thicker than it would usually be. Mm. And I could feel it and they could feel it. And you know, nobody sort of, we or we all moved together for that 56, 57 minutes. And then at the end of it, I would, I would return to myself and I would have like a little jump for joy. I would be so, overcome with joy because several things that had happened we had been on this journey together really truly together and uh, I had released some of Marianne's stuff let's call it and my stuff and I think the collective stuff the audience's stuff we'd laughed we'd cried uh, uh, we had related 
And um, it, it really was a pivotal point for me when I realized that the, the deep relaxation and trust that whatever needs to come through will come through. And I don't have to actually work for anything because all the work is done. When, how old were you when that, um, when that happened? Oh, well, that was 2013. So I would have been 35. So, I mean, I mean, I mean, before, so a couple things out of that. I mean, when did, were you somebody who, um, uh, I mean, most musicians will kind of, depending on when they came up, I mean, they can beg, borrow, and steal from all of the people they looked mm-hmm. up to. But at a certain point, uh, it's like when you get enough of the rudiments, it's, well, what do you have to say for, you know, what do you have to say for yourself? What makes you individualistic? And I wonder if you always found more comfort in in uh, being a solo act, uh, in in has collaboration for you... Do you get off on collaboration as much as you like doing a one man, one woman kind of show is that's a lot. And uh, but hmm. do you feel like you've always been stronger on your own? I'm not sure I'm going to rush to do it again. I <laughs> love and thrive in uh, ensemble work because then as we move as a unit, as, a, as, a, as an entity together on stage, that is also glorious. It's really, truly glorious to, to, to collectively come up with new things in the moment and surprise each other and play with that and stretch it and bend it with each other. That, 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 that's its own sport of tennis you know in the acting and I love ensemble work um I think acting for me before that point with my unfaithful was very my voice I thought uh was was a political voice and I wanted to do plays that were socially conscious right and I wanted to make a uh point fingers and provoke the audience in order to make a change in themselves or in their society. And I, and I still believe that particularly at stage and film and TV, uh, is, it's very important to do that sort of from the ancient Greek ideas of what stage was set up to do. However, it, it works better. I realize when the audience are emotionally engaged, invited to connect with the story and the purpose as well. And so then, I started to develop and grow more into, well, I need to be more vulnerable in this story in order for the change to truly occur. What was some of the issues that you used to uh, poke people with uh, from a social justice or social consciousness point of view? Well, uh, when I used to, I now live in New York, when I used to live in London, I was part of a theatre company for a long time called the Caravanserai, and yeah, uh, Caravans- yeah. they're, they're the you know they're the little safe houses on the Silk Roads that still exist today and have for two thousand odd years, where people would come and sit and uh, tell stories of the road ahead and the road before and um, a real a place to sleep and eat and and uh, uh, so we would we would put plays together all the time and we did we did a version of Agamemnon a play written by, you know, a long, long time ago, 2,000 years ago, 
But it's an anti-war play nonetheless, and this was around the time that um, Tony Blair was taking Britain and a million people took to the streets to, to say, we don't want to go into Iraq, we don't believe there are weapons of right. destruction. Right. And, uh, and so, we, so we, we redeveloped this, this Greek anti-war play into a modern-day piece, uh, and we, we, we covered the walls in the theater from the doorway all the way in of, of any photograph we could find of any fallen soldier or from any war, from any time. So that, um, because, because really it's, it's, we realized that Agamemnon was timeless and nothing has changed in the politics. Wow. And that, and that was, um, uh, an, an ensemble effort. That was an ensemble effort, which of course the Greek plays are written with 12 people as a chorus, the magic number 12. And uh, the chorus, there will be a hero who steps out and talk, tells the story. And then there is the chorus who uh, reflects to the audience what is going on and will provoke the audience with their words or song or movement. Um, the Greeks are phenomenal with how they told stories. I love how you're going back to that. I, I, I kind of forgot about that. Um, it was more about like thought provoking. Uh, and, um, but that's Agamemnon. That was just a flash from like high school, hmm. you know, that went over, you hmm. know, I mean, can you talk about the, or an early memory of, of, uh, of you, you know, leaving your physical body uh, on the stage and um, and then ultimately sort of realizing like, oh my gosh, like it's sort of like, like you said, you're jumping out of a plane, but then every night it's, it's about how do you land safely or how do you find your way back into your body? You know, can you talk about um, the metaphysical part of mm. improvisation in the moment? Uh, because what you're talking, now it's very clear to me why, how you've been able to uh, heal yourself is because you've done so much amazing work raising the collective consciousness. And what happens then is when you put that out to the audience and it comes back to you, that is the be most amazing spiritual medicine you could ever, ever have. And you've been doing that and cultivating that for many years. Mm. Yeah, and you know, but people have been doing that for me too from a very early age. Uh, Can you give an example? I remember. Give an example. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to. Yeah, I remember. I remember sort of being, being six or seven, and this goes back to the Greeks. I, don't, I never. Here we are talking about the Greeks. So I remember <laughs> learning about some Greek myths at school and uh, saying to my parents, "Hey, I, I'm learning this. I'm learning about the Greek myths, and it's really, really inspiring me." And and uh, my dad at that time was said, "Well, let's let's go to Greece." In the school holidays let's go and we took a week and my my family took me around these ancient sites and it was astonishing i remember sitting in a bank and we had to change money it was before the euro you know we're going back to the early 80s I love it. and a, and a man approached me and said and he in this bank and we were waiting it was very hot and he said oh you know um, a little birdie has told me some things about you and uh he then started to reveal uh, all kinds of things about my life currently and my life ahead, uh, and uh, and it was it was it was not a frightening event. It right. was a really sort of uh, right. it, encouraging event, 
And uh, he was delightful and warm and wise and ancient. And uh, I saw the bird on his shoulder as a six, seven-year-old person, believing that and seeing it and not understanding uh, the lateral thinking. But, but, I, but I also saw that. And I took a lot of comfort in him. And uh, I can see him even now. And I've had people visit me like that many times over. And I don't meet many people where they've had visitors tell them things. And uh, so I've taken great comfort in that, that messengers have come to me. And, and, uh, and so it, you've, had, you've had that. I mean, yeah, because what I'm, you know, like to me, in, when you talk about that solo performance and the air was thick, mm -hmm. was very thick yeah. and heavy, you know, you're, you're marinating in this like, this unquantifiable spiritual milieu that is, and you're doing it all on your own. And, you know, the audience is somewhat captivated. A lot of times, you know, if I go to see, it would be different if I went to see you perform with music, I need to be in the front row in front of the PA system so that I'm feeling the natural vibration of the entire collective. And, and my feeling is like, it used to be, a lot of cats would say, how do you expect the audience to go there if you don't go there first? And, right. I, and I get that. But, you know, as a, as a patron and as a journalist, as somebody who's, who's looking for healing, I bring, an, the again, that word urgency to the bandstand. A lot of times it's, it's descarga, cathartic sort of emotional guttural releases because I want to let the band know that I am there to to have a spiritual burn. So I want the, mm -hmm. I want to come as an audience member and get and wake if they're even in the cobwebs at all, I want to wake them up. Do you I mean are you doing okay right now? I'm going to I'm going to feed I'm with you and I'm going to Take your time. I mean again, just let me know. I I I I treasure this. I don't want you if you're really distracted, we can pick it up some other time. Oh. Wow, this is so beautiful on radio. All right. We you just good. let me know how you're feeling, okay? Yeah. Um, you know, how did you think that maybe, even though it's obviously quite remarkable, I remember that period of time when, when Britain was staunchly against the Iraq war, and uh, did you find that at a certain point you were like, I don't want to be... I don't want to come across as, as preachy or, you know, mm -hmm. trying to be some sort of social justice person. I, or how did you cultivate bringing the audience into your soul? I, I realized that, um, uh, I realized that, that the theater practice I'm generalizing and I certainly was trapped in it was very heady. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sort of coming from an intellectual, dare I say, slightly elitist type. And that's not, that doesn't work with reaching. Uh, Absolutely. You're totally right. You're spot on. So, so, but I didn't know that until I had experienced in myself the, the, an opening in, into my own heart slash art, you know, until I was really, truly 
ready to be completely uh, vulnerable and open and uh, carefree with with allowing not only who I am to be, but allowing myself to be the vessel and everything to come through me and allow that to be public. Because there's one thing doing that at home, but then there's another thing doing that publicly. You know, so once I got comfortable, and I don't know what... Fiona, is it yeah. Fiona? Is it possible? I you you you've become incredibly distant. Your voice. I, I need to hear what you're saying. It's yeah. it's so far it's no it's it's actually not I I it's not even discernible. Uh, how is that? Well, then now I can there we go. now there I can go. hear you perfectly. I mean, or, this is so beautiful. I mean, like so you would um, early on in your career you would um, be in uh, you know cultivating your craft at home and you would be a vessel this beautiful vessel of information that would come when you got out of your own way would come through you from the heavens and can you talk about how or you know a certain time like how did you become comfortable being a vessel and vulnerable on stage it's incredibly important because otherwise it's like I mean, it's the it's the equivalent of what's happening in music today in a lot of ways where people are infatuated with technique and facility and chops. And, you know, at the end of the day, you go to a performance like that and people are wanking it and you just wind mm -hmm. up like staring at the wall as opposed to somebody who's like, maybe it's not absolutely perfect, but it's so authentic. And you can yeah. tell that they are out of their thinking mind and that they are maybe in the primordial gut. And, I mean, that's what I now know why we why I connected with you. Because that is, in fact, do you, find, do you think that that is a very rare um, sort of gift to have in the acting world? Well, um, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I do not. I know, although no, I think I you're, I think you're spot on. You are. I, I think after I asked the question, I knew. <laughs> if you're at the level, if you're at that level, then it is not uncommon. Continue. Yeah. 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 Do we see it that often? Uh, unfortunately, right. uh, no. Mm -hmm. And and what I find, and possibly you do too, is it is a deep dissatisfaction when I walk away, and we haven't had that experience. Um, together uh but what i know is i was uh teaching a class in new york uh before 2019 on a weekly basis for several years uh all about getting uh people in the room to connect authentically to themselves in order to connect genuinely and authentically to everybody else and it wouldn't matter if i had somebody from uh, China talking in Mandarin who was 17 years old, seemingly very little life experience to 
somebody who is in their 70s, seemingly a lot of life experience, talking possibly in, uh, in a, you know, in any language, it wouldn't matter. Um, eventually, if people wanted to, if the will and desire was truly there, then they they would. I I don't want to trick anybody into any place they don't want to be. Exactly. Right? I want exactly. I want pe- I want people to 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 discover it because they want to discover it, and I can guide people in that in that in that room to to a place where they may be able to discover that in themselves. And when it happens, it, it's it's really really fantastic. And and and. Like, I, I, it doesn't matter what language or life experience anyone's had, it is, the, it is the same for everybody. And we all stop and listen and breathe slower and uh, feel relief. Hmm. You know, did you, um, obviously you've had people visit you, uh, and tell you things um, about who you are, and you are um, somebody who is, uh, is somewhat of an intergalactic individual. And I wonder, you know, when, because we are taught in in sort of Judeo Christian society that, um, you know, to worship uh, or to that there's a God, and you either you know you look above, um, or you know there's a a preacher or a rabbi, and they somehow have a direct they're, they're a conduit to the divine, but, and then they're passing on this information. What I've realized in the last 10 years of my journey is just that when I, when I, um, get out of my own way and have an opportunity to drop into, um, a space with somebody that, you know, we all have God within us. And I wonder about, um, your evolution as it relates to, um, like early on, like, how were you, how were you raised spiritually? When did you realize that you had a direct connection? I think we all do have a direct connection yeah. to the divine, but I think that some people get bogged down with what I call dogma, you know, from the monotheistic yeah. side of things. And mm-hmm. I want to know how you work through that because when I see you, Fiona, you are, uh, I mean, you're not a dark skinned person, but you are like radiating light and angelic light so you have that kind of space and spirituality which means you've tapped into your not just your purpose in life but you know you're you you tapped into being a vessel and i just wanted to know how early if you had a shake away dogma or if you were Hmm. searching for spirit for me i was searching for a long time i was i was raised jewish and, and i mean i was my dad was jewish my mom was catholic but i was not initiated or no confirmation no bar mitzvah so i was on a path and then i found the dao daoism and uh and for a variety of reasons that put me on my path but being somebody who's just so eloquent and articulate and radiating divine light i just wonder your own path as it relates to uh finding the god within you um well i was i was not raised in any particular uh, uh, religious organization. And, uh, um, however, 
it was around me. You know, I'd hear it at school in the playground. And I remember very young having the fear of God. If I didn't believe, I would go to hell. Mm -hmm. So so I remember trying it out, really young, trying it out and saying, I want to go to church and I want to go to Sunday school and see what it is. My parents didn't go. And so I went with a neighbor and I must have been five, six, young and quickly realized, oh, no, this isn't for me. Um, but then I was sort of then sort of realizing, well, something's going on, and I don't know what it is, but I need to find out what it is. And then I got into my teens, and I sort of lost my way with that and realized that I was a little bit sort of like thinking about things more than maybe people around me. So I started drinking and drugs, and those sort of things came in instead, and I dimmed myself, and I didn't, I sort of forgot all about it and forgot who I was and why. Uh, and then in my 20s, it was, I got very sick and realized, well, now I have to choose how I'm going to, to, to die in rebirth in order to live. So let me get, let me get myself together. And, uh, and I, I just started reading all kinds of, you know, I started reading some Buddhism and uh, I started reading uh, a lot of uh, uh, sort of new age and uh, mm-hmm. I started doing a lot of um, body meditation, and uh, I, and, I, and I and at that point I really did. I was 29, and I I I really rebirthed. And I actually went to India, and I felt that was the place to go to do it. Uh, and I was quite sick, and uh, I didn't want to take on Western medicine. And I and I and I had to really let go of all of the uh, shit. <laughs> Sorry for that, but I literally and physically, emotionally, and it that, and 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 it was deep, and uh, and I remember thinking, I remember having this experience uh, after weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and weeks uh, of, of doing something called panchakarma, and uh, uh, and not really having much communication with anybody except for one person who was working on my body, and. Uh, and that was very limited communication in itself. And, uh, I, and I remember sort of being in this place where I didn't know if I was sort of, uh, if, if I was, I wasn't off this, I wasn't on the earth. And I was in a place where it was, um, oh, it's so hard to describe. Oh, you're doing fantastic. I, 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 know, where, I know where that place is. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just didn't know if I was completely mad mm-hmm. or if I was maybe entering some kind of enlightenment. I really didn't know. But no, it was a rebirth, matter, right? I mean, that was... Because it was yeah. happening. Oh, it's just so amazing. And, uh, uh, yeah, and I was left to it in my room for, for actually several days. I was left to it. And I, I, I think I, at one point I said, I, I, I think I need some Tylenol. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that, but I did. No, you were going through a spiritual uh, burn. I mean, you you were in the same sort of um, uh, state for several days. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So beautiful, yeah. Fiona. That is the most. I mean, that is the most powerful. I mean, I've not heard. I've done a lot of interviews. Um, I wonder about. First of all, I mean, I don't consider LSD or pot hard uh, drugs i mean were you doing hard drugs 
Harder drugs, yeah, harder, yeah. Okay, so, you know, that's the, th- a lot, you know, I've done a lot of interviews with Mahavishnu, John McLaughlin, who's a brilliant guitarist uh, and uh, from England, and uh, he came to the States and was uh, looking to get off. He wanted to access a spiritual plane in music without using hard drugs, and um, and he found uh, Sri Chimnoy, you know, and, and it's a long story but the point is that eventually he got to a place where um you know he could uh transcend you know for so long when you numb yourself you know you think that that's Mm -hmm. going to put you in some space where you're going to have more peace or it's going to at least i guess my question is what what were you why were you trying to dim yourself at that time were you feeling objectified were you feeling like you, like, um, uh, I mean, you know, it's so hard for somebody who's, I mean, you're obviously incredibly smart, um, and you, you know, and then you, when you get out of your intellectual mind and, and you go into your spirit mind, that's when the magic occurs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at an earlier age, you know, you can easily be thought of, like, you're like, oh, I'm just being pigeonholed to, to do this or that or I mean, what, why were you, in, in, in hindsight, why, were, why did you, why were you trying to numb yourself? I, d- I didn't believe that I had any value. Now, where that comes from, that's somebody else's belief on top of me, right. given to me. But who gave that to me? I couldn't say. Maybe many. I'm not sure. But that's what it was. You know, I was going to say, because like what you talked about before, kind of coming out of the, the, the idea of being yourself on stage, there's a lot of judgment coming from other people within the same profession or the same work. When, mm-hmm. when did you stop giving a shit about mm-hmm. how other people like, cause I, I mean that for me, you know, it was always like, I'll still get messages from people like, you know. Jake, mm-hmm. are you a trained broadcaster or do you, do you know, why don't you listen to Terry Gross? You know, like she, it's like, it's like, I mean, like, like I just, mm-hmm. I, I built my own thing and I, but it took a long time to stop caring about how other people perceived what my true gifts were and yours, you're on the stage. I mean, do you remember, like, did you mm-hmm. have to, I guess maybe, you know, did you feel like, looking back on it, you had to cleanse yourself physically and go through kind of a spiritual, psycho-spiritual rebirth um, and then go back into acting and then you then you started to own your own and stopped really caring about how other people viewed you or the fact that you basically were going to carve your own path even though it was going to be the, the insecure path. Well, it, I, I mean, I, you, you said it really. It's, it's once I returned from India, I knew I had to pick up the performance element of myself and I had to do it in a new way. And I had to find what, who am I within it and what is it I, what is it I need and want to say and how am I going to do it? And one example of that sort of pre-India trip was I, you know, I danced for uh, 20 years and, and, 
the the thing with the dance was that it was always somebody else's choreography, and I love this sort of as a metaphor, is that it was that's somebody else's expression. Exactly. That I'm learning, that's not my authentic expression. And it, I hadn't realized that, but, and that I was dissatisfied with that. So in my 30s, I, was, I wanted to know what is my authentic expression and how, what, how, does that, how can I offer that out? And why does it matter? Hmm. Is there a way to like, do you, do, like, that's so powerful. Did you, was it, did it come in like, for me, it's just come with, you know, I go back and listen to my early interviews from 10 years ago and I can, I'm too insecure. Like I can hear myself wanting to ask certain questions. Again, talking to my elders about cultural bias or racism or uh, stories of, of, you know, uh, the history of music and I, I listen and it's sometimes it's almost painful because I can hear that I just haven't found my voice yet. And, um, and now I'm just sort of very free and open and uh, willing to sort of, because I know that, you know, my ability to help other people be seen and talk about things they may never have talked about and just reveal and, and then make people feel vulnerable in a good way is my gift. So, I mean, mm. did it, did it come did you have to fall down? <clears throat> did you have to fall on your face a little bit and get up in order to really get your own, for lack of a better word, choreography, your own, you could own your own, your own stage content and choreography? Well, I mean, I'm still in process. That's, of course. Good answer. Uh, uh, and I fall down all the time, but my desire and will to get back up and is, is just there. And that's how I sleep. So that's what I do. And, um, and others can think or say whatever they wish. That's not my business. It's really not my business. So, you know, it's for me. Yeah, I can't wait for you to start. As how many? You have two children? Two, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> as, as they get older and they, they come home with, with drama, you know, from I can't wait to hear about how you help them, you know, wean them off of not taking anything that that's, that's the, yeah. I think that's the thing, Fiona is, can you talk about, um, maybe the, I just take this quote and then you can tell me if, where you come down on it is that you take, you know, motherhood, acting, dancing, everything you do, teaching, you take what you do seriously but you don't take yourself that seriously. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Why is that important for built, cultivating what I call the sea of chi, you know, like the chi, the spiritual mm -hmm. energy that you can cultivate? How has that helped you in terms of being more buoyant? I know we talked off air about just the sheer exhaustion of having young kids and, you know, doing, you know, and nursing and all this stuff, you know, you can feel like everything's being sucked out of you, but yet mm -hmm. that, that inherent spiritual bastion of chi is always there because you don't have this vanity, you know, you're very bright, but you don't have like, um, you're not like in the ivory tower. You're not somebody who is, I mean, you could be an academic, but you don't want to be an academic. I, I, I would term you a street scholar. <laughs> <laughs> How, I mean, do you, do you believe that there's a correlation between 
not like taking what you do seriously, but not taking yeah. yourself that seriously, and that, and then having this that 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 in itself, incur uh, helps create uh, this sea of spiritual chi. Uh, absolutely, it, it's about ego, isn't it? Yep. And having and not having it, letting it just exist. It, it exists. I have, of course. It, it it you know in my civilian life, it helps me survive on a daily basis. Absolutely, but it's it's of no use to me. In my artistic world, it's also of no use to me being a parent as well. So I am able to let it exist, but not own me. I can befriend it, and uh, I hope put it to the side. But I think that's why I don't take myself seriously because I got over myself, <laughs> or I got over what people what people think of me or don't think of me. It, it doesn't matter to me. Um. Tell me a little bit about, um, like, you know, the, you know, your, your brain is work. You have just, you, you've been, we've been volleying for 50 minutes and you've just been not hitting the ball back to me with ease. Um, your brain works so fast. How have you been dealing with, um, how do you, how have you been dealing with this sort of the atrophying of, the, the, the theater arts, um, uh, live music touring has come to a halt. Uh, the mm. arts have really taken a hit during this pandemic. Um, yeah. And I just, you know, I mean, on top of the fact that you have two young kids and, you know, again, it's not so much about because you've moved beyond the idea of, oh, woe is me, self-pity, that kind of thing. It's more like I just want to know how you – can stay how do you keep a reservoir together when you're not able to essentially you know somebody took the microphone away from me for a year i wouldn't be in a great place spiritually and when mm. so somebody kind of just basically took your one of your yogic practices away from you uh being that uh, the theater uh performance um how have you dealt with it and, and what have you done to offset it well uh yeah, I, I, I think uh, it's been very hard uh, for many people. Yeah. Um, not just the people that uh, need to be performing, but also the people that need to be experiencing performances. Uh, Absolutely. Nice point. Um, so there's that. And uh, I think we're going to feel that in our culture because that's, a, that, that's the arena where people go to release uh, stuff, you know. And if stuff is not getting released, then maybe we have a little kettle pot getting hot. For me, um, I remember reading a while back, sort of a, uh, in a tantric belief of, uh, creating outwardly from sort of um, uh, from our waist up and out or from our waist down and out mm -hmm. and I'm very aware that in the last 12 15 months I have absolutely been internally creating internally birthing literally and um, certainly my I, one of my children under three is has a very active imagination and is deeply feeling so he keeps me on my toes in terms of how, and it's a very creative thing being a parent 
in every moment of how can I, you know, <laughs> stimulate. So Absolutely. In a way, it, uh, uh, it's so wonderful to talk to you because my brain is being used, and my, you know, I'm, I am, I, I have, I have another hat on, which is wonderful, uh, momentarily. Uh, I, I made the choice with my first, and and it, this choice has been made for me with my second. Is that um, for the first twelve months, I would stay at home. I was lucky enough with the with the first one that um, after twelve months, I got offered a role in a film, and I was able to go and take him and take my mother to help and nurse between takes. And it was just a really very female forward supported. Uh, of and, and I really hope that that now is, you know, that's going to continue because um, everybody, everybody gained from that experience. So that is so, so, so this, that pre, the, your first child was pre-pandemic. You were able to uh, be able to get, create, uh, get out of stuff out of your yeah. system, work for it, and then actually not have to, uh, and still be in union with your with your baby yeah lucky me huh yeah well i mean this is not that that's you get the best of everything there um like i mean yeah. there's a serious issue like i mean you know i i, I was on the road a lot the last couple of years and and going to brooklyn a lot flying in from tucson where i live going to see a lot of music going to see my friends supporting it and just healing from it all and there is um I mean, it is staggering, Fiona. I don't need to tell you this, but I mean, the one industry that has not come back is, um, oh, there's a couple, but one of them is the touring circuit, live musical touring circuit. Like if a, a bunch of road dogs wanted to get in a in a sprinter van and go, you know, Seattle, Portland, down the coast, and, you know, two weeks, you know, that, 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 it, that, uh, structure was in place before the pandemic they weren't getting rich in fact it was almost not worth it but because of the spiritual mm -hmm. qualities of art and creating art we know um it, it, they did it but th now that's not even anywhere close to, i mean i i don't know how many if we're a year away or two years i mean you'll see concerts pop up but more regional and i wonder like when you look at your profession how in your mind how will it have fundamentally changed uh coming out as we slowly get out what what do you feel you're clearly not somebody who's afraid of ad adaptation but what is what is going to be the new normal as it relates to uh, stage acting who knows are we going to be sitting two seats apart from each other for me that's heartbreaking yep. uh i'm i think performances outside bring it on Bring it on! <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna, I do it. I would love. Are you? Are you? You are a singer as well. I mean, I, I can hold a tune, but I've never. Uh, I, I, you know, I mean, there, I guess maybe that's the point. Have you thought about? Uh, at not, at, not that your repertoire isn't deep already, but it, have you thought about adding? Like, if you go outside, for instance, like, you know, singing like that to me. Well, talk about it. Bring it on. What would what would that look like? Like, is that was that something that was not in vogue before the pandemic? Was outdoor theater? I think in the summer we always have outdoor Shakespeare, don't we? We 
mm-hmm. but maybe not so much uh, as much life. And we, of course, we have summer events outside. One thing we've realized going through this winter, certainly in Brooklyn and New York, is uh, all my kids' classes singing, and that we're all outside in minus whatever weather. We, <laughs> up and we did it, and it worked. And it we, did. You were. It you were. Worked. You were. At, wait, hold on. You had your older <laughs> older child yeah. out there singing in the in the in the freezing in the freezing snow and rain. We sure did. Look, at we you. sure did. You're so fearless. But but we we isolation is very very challenging for no, you're all right. of us, I know. and uh, we all, no matter what age, I, I, my my kid was suffering. So let's let's find let's find a way to get together safely outside. And luckily, uh, people in this city were were brave enough to put stuff together. So, um, and I just see that, I see that as, I see that growing and it's, it's almost a seismic shift in our society has happened of how we get together currently. So I just see that growing, uh, in the next few months. And as the summer really comes, I mean, we're hearing about outside events now getting organized safely. So good. I mean, it's, uh, do you believe that you are, do you recognize that you are uh, somebody that is going to have to, in your own way, push people out of their comfort zone uh, in order to grow? A lot of people will will still be stuck in the old ways, uh, a lot of paralysis, people that have basically lived life by the way society says they should live. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the path that we have taken, and you know, it you recognize that you're. Pro- I mean, even though you're, you can see it. A lot of people. There's going to be a lot of hesitancy, and I wonder if you recognize that you're not only part of the art, but you're also going to have to be an advocate moving forward. Hmm. I don't know what's going to happen with Broadway and how they're going to move forward. Um, I definitely believe um, that the shift has happened. So um, in terms of how society is currently functioning, how the systems are functioning, the shift has happened. So uh, I, I, think, I think the current choice is stay isolated or, or get with the program. <laughs> right. Um, I feel like, I just feel there's been a lot of it's been very traumatic for everybody, but for some people, they're going to want to, they're going to assume that they can go back to the way it was before. And yeah. it's going to require people to sort of take people along for the ride and probably, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's a delicate balance. Uh, I just wonder if you were not, do you think you would be, what, what, what other things do you, do you think about uh, when it when it as it relates to you know what you what other things you would be good at in your life? I mean, it seems like uh, advocacy and you know, um, I mean, you you, you know, I, I, in music, uh, in modern day music with a lot of younger creatives, they have to 
you know, focus on their art and put people in the seats and focus on promotion. They have to wear eight hats, and and that's not the way great art is made. You know, the art artist has mm. to be able to focus on creating the art. Is it like that? I mean, do you feel like you have to wear a lot of hats in acting, or are you basically able to? Is there an infrastructure around you that can take care of other things that can make you completely focused on your craft? I think that's one of the reasons music is so suffering even before the pandemic is that artists are really unable to focus on their art because they have to do so many other things if they're going to actually sing for their supper. Yeah, sure. Um, I think if it's, yeah, of course, when we're lucky enough to do a project for somebody else, then the infrastructure is there. Then when we are lucky enough to be able to have an infrastructure to build our own projects and creations, um, which for me personally has always been where the deeper satisfaction has been because, uh, you know, the challenge with working for other people is, is then always, how can I give this character that, is more maybe more of a stretch for me. Um, but what I'm noticing uh, now is that there's a lot of, uh, I mean, production in New York, TV production is back on its feet in full swing, uh, exactly how it was, but with lots of testing and masks. Um, and people can choose to be comfortable with that and do it or not. Right. Um, I'm noticing that um, a lot of... Uh, classes for actors a lot of the old training where people would get together in a room is now online and what's wonderful about that is that it's no longer limited to people in the city it can be there's people from all over the world joining and for me that's really exciting um uh let me ask you though okay so that's yeah and that's great because you know what i don't care if you're a drum instructor at sonoma state or somebody like yourself who teaches engagement improvisation imagination online because you know it's it it it, it's a livelihood thing but when it comes to inspiring i mean i you know going to a museum going to a play or a a theatrical performance or a, a live musical show i mean there is i would hope that i i i just it's hard it's hard for me to, to envision being able to get off on an art, artistic experience through in, in a virtual way, you know, and that's the humbling part for me right at this point is like, you know, I, I just, you know, I don't have any problem wearing a mask. I have no problem. I want to follow all the social guidelines, but I mean, could you see your, I mean, could you, could you see yourself doing performances virtually uh especially if it just seems to me being indoors in a crowded area with a lot of people um it breaks my heart to say this but it just seems we're a ways away from that returning and and i just wonder how you know like i guess maybe how how uncompromisable are you as it relates to not necessarily somebody else's project but potentially your own Mm -hmm. and doing it in a teaching is one thing performing virtually. How do you feel about that? Yeah. So, um, 
as you speak, uh, I am reminded of uh, a performance I recently saw uh, two months ago online. One of my favorite, favorite storytellers, a uh, British person named Daniel Kitson, and uh, he, he did an online live stream. Uh, he was in a theater. He does one man, he's a storyteller, mm-hmm. one man, uh, hour long, him in a theater on a chair um, with post-it notes of uh, uh, going along with his story. And I, I, I ha- I'm lucky I have a projector, so I stuck it on the projector on the wall. Oh, wow. And I sat down and I watched it. And I, and I wept from start to finish because it was so relatable. It was so creative. It was using the medium in an astonishing way that blew my mind that uh, wasn't just using it as, well, here's the old way of theater and I'm recording it and you're watching it. It was using the medium as a whole new way to tell the story visually, verbally. Uh, and the fact that he was in a theater and you could see that, he, we, we were on the stage with him through the camera lens. So we could see the, where we would be sitting uh, as he reversed to the camera as the seat behind him. And it was just remarkable. <laughs> and deeply moving, and very relatable, and uh, definitely forward-thinking, progressive, astonishing. So I was very inspired, and could only wish to do something as brilliant as that. And I would absolutely do a performance online. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have... uh... One more name that voice for you, um, and, uh, and then we'll come back, okay? Love, to me, is what makes everything go around. I think that love created the universe. I think that if you, if you say you do not believe in God, you're an atheist or whatever, you know, I respect that. Uh, I think we all need to respect uh, how, how each other feels about things in life. Um, but for you to say that you don't believe in God, and if you have a little daughter or a little son, and you look in their eyes, you can't tell me that you don't believe in love. Mm-hmm. And to me, God is love. So I don't think I need to go any further with that as far as that's concerned. And mm-hmm. I, also, I also believe that, uh, that, and especially at this time in, in the world, what's going on out there in the world, it's just insane. And we need to hold on to love. We need to hold on to what love is. We need to realize that there's a heavy struggle going on in the world. And, and I don't think any of us really understand. We don't understand it like we, we should. But I know one thing for sure, that this world needs love. It always did. Fiona, that's one of the most recorded drummers in music history, a guy named Jim Keltner. And um, it took a lot of guts for me to find my own voice to start asking people about what their concept of love is and how they bring love to the world. But, you know, I just, I wanted to say that I, I, I just, I feel like you have a, you know, a, a, a gift. And, and that is to, in, you know, you have an ability, a resourcefulness to clear out the dark corners of your heart and not just inspire people, but also bring love to the world. And I feel that very strongly. And, um, 
You know, I, I through this conversation, I I have just a couple things. Uh, you know, I I I was hoping we could do uh, part two of of our interview at some point, and um, I also would love to try to collaborate with you on a project, the virtual project, because um, I think it would be um, very creative and stimulating and inspiring, and it would allow for me, an opportunity to get into something that I've always kind of dabbled with, but never really uh, pursued. Um, and it would allow you to um, use parts of your brain that, um, that maybe you would like to use. Mm. I'm in. Wonderful. Beautiful. I mean, I, I let you, uh, maybe we can do part two uh, next week or something. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Yeah. Um, bless you and your beautiful children and uh, have a blessed day. Um, I feel very, I'm so humbled to know you. Mm, likewise. Thank you for your love and care and time and patience, Jake. Cheers, Fiona. Bye. Bye. Well, that was about as good as I thought it was going to be. Uh, really beautiful divine woman and uh, somebody who's very much has both feet on the ground while trying to access her multidimensional self as an actress and a theatrical person in the time of COVID. That's it for the Jake Feinberg Show. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you later.